when we get activated into fight or flight while we're simply talking to our spouse. Even if it's just a disagreement. On maybe a simple disagreement or a difficult or a difficult subject. Right. That's going to be problematic, right? Because now our spouse is that perceived threat. And that is when communication breaks down and conflict begins to escalate. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. So recently we watched a few episodes of the TV series Picard because we're old Star Trek yep, fans. Yeah, like the old Star Trek. <laughs> um, so it's a Star Trek series about Captain Picard and his retirement. And the series opens up with this girl. Her name is Dodge. And oh, yeah. she works as a research fellow and she's living a fairly normal life until one day she gets attacked by Romulans. Of course. And suddenly a program gets activated within her triggering her body and her mind to react automatically to this threat. And as it turned out, Dodge wasn't an everyday science geek after all. No, she no, was, she wasn't. She was actually an android that was programmed to think that she was human. But when her existence became threatened, she became activated by her internal programming. Oh, that's weird, right? Mm. Much the same way. We all have some internal programming and we have things that can trigger us. When we become triggered, we become activated into a heightened physiological and emotional state. This is our evolutionary programming designed actually to help us survive in precarious situations. Exactly. But this program is really meant for us in true life and death situations. And when that program gets activated during ordinary conversations with our spouse, it can have really damaging effects on our relationship. Yeah, because it's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. Just a conversation. So this program is actually called our fight or flight response, and you may have heard of that. In today's episode, we will refer to it as flooding. Flooding. Maybe this scenario sounds familiar to you. So let's say you're in the middle of a conflict or a disagreement. Maybe you're having a difficult conversation with your partner and suddenly your partner does or says something and suddenly you are activated into rage or hurt, panic or fear. And now it's starting to feel like you're getting caught in a riptide. Sucked right in. Sucked right in. You may notice certain physical sensations in your body. Your heart might be racing or pounding. Your stomach might feel like it's turning. And guess what? You're flooded. You, you talked about some of those emotions um, in our last episode. When we I, talked, about, when we, triggers, when we right? talked about triggers. Yeah, yeah, I talked about some of those interesting sensations in my own body and how I started to recognize those sensations as being triggered or yep. flooded. Yep. So you're flooded. So why does this matter in relationships? Well, if you remember back to previous episodes, John Gottman's research led to the ability to predict divorce with greater than 90% accuracy simply by watching how couples disagreed. They actually had a a discussion about something they were struggling with. And one of my favorite sayings is, how you disagree is how your relationship goes. It is how exactly how it goes. And John Gottman also observed that within groups of couples who ultimately did get divorced, 
they shared a really similar pattern of how they got there. So how they got from wherever they were when they started to that, which like point A to point B being divorced. Or point D being divorced. Or point D being divorced. And this pattern or this cascade of events that ends up happening became known as the distance isolation cascade. Sounds terrible. And here's how this cascade goes. So first, the couple, one or both, is getting emotionally flooded Mm -hmm. during disagreements. And this flooding progressively gets worse and worse over time. Of course it does. And this would lead to them attacking one another with one of the four horsemen. So criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, again, just escalating and escalating the conversation, making it worse. And after that, the couples begin to emotionally disengage from one another and they fall into loneliness. And from loneliness, that leads to living parallel lives and then eventually to divorce. So that's the... That doesn't sound like a good thing. That's the whole process, right? And that's the cascade that became this common pattern that he would notice with couples who did eventually end up in divorce. So this pattern that that in, that eventually ends up leading to divorce is a pattern of isolation that's set off by flooding or, or by fight flight. or flight system, right? Yeah, the whole thing begins by flooding. That's where the first stepping stone begins. So would it be useful then to understand flooding and learn ways to regulate it in your own relationship? I would sure think so. Good. Okay, so let's start out by doing a deep dive into the autonomic nervous system really Uh-oh. quickly. Science alert. Uh-oh, science alert. Uh, Let's talk about that. And let's talk about the fight or flight response. Because if this is the first step in this this cascade that leads to divorce, I think we better know a little bit of something about it, right? All right. Buckle down. Here we go. So what is it? So we have two branches of our our autonomic nervous system. They're sympathetic um, and parasympathetic. The sympathetic branch is really like the accelerator on your car. And it's designed to get us to react in case of emergencies. So when we're in danger. When we're in danger okay, or perceived danger. And that's which one? That's the sympathetic that's branch. That's the sympathetic branch. Okay. The other branch is... The, the other branch is branch. the parasympathetic nervous system, and it's the brakes. It's right. the it's what's going to help to promote rest and digest. It's also going to be what calms the body down after whatever perceived danger has passed. So this fight or flight response is an automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. Yeah. And I think the key word there is perceived. I think that's the important word because what someone perceives as threatening is might be different than what someone else perceives as threatening. And how we perceive it is what determines our reaction to it. Absolutely. But you had something actually very serious happen recently that I think you should share really quickly because we're going to talk about what the body physiologically does. And you just went through this firsthand a couple of days ago. Yeah. So um, I wasn't necessarily triggered. Like Not by example. me, by, no, by, but by a da- actual dangerous yeah, situation. Actual dangerous event. So understand that this fight or flight response is really to help you run away or fight, you know, when a dinosaur is attacking you or a rhino or stressful situations, much like a plane crash. You were in a plane crash. I was in a plane crash last weekend and you know, fell out of the air and landed on top of a hangar and everybody was okay. We both climbed out and we're lucky to be here. But when you, when he came home and he was like, I was just in a plane crash. I I was just sitting there like, as you probably are right now, wait a minute, those two things don't go together. You aren't just standing here in front of me alive and having had just been in a plane crash. My brain was so confused. How are these two things both happening at the same time? So 
Yeah, I mean, and and we're we're very luckful, lucky, and I'm grateful grateful for all the things that happened that led to a really good outcome. But in that moment, right after we crashed, the pilot, both the pilot it was just me and the pilot. Uh, we're both just continued to ask each other repeatedly, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" Um, and I, I swear, I think I asked him like three times, but we couldn't really hear each other. And the reason that we couldn't really hear each other, we'll we'll talk about some of the things that happen physiologically when when your fight or flight system kicks in. But I think the hearing piece is important and it'll be instructive as we go through kind of the the things that happen. I want to point out, though, that in that situation, in a plane crash or a car accident or when there's real danger, that's when it's supposed to be engaged. That's when your your sympathetic nervous system is supposed to be firing you into flight or fight. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what so what does end up happening then to our So body? when someone expense, experiences a stressful event, um, the amygdala uh, sends a distress signal to the hypothalamus, which we'll call the control center. And the hypothalamus activates the sympathetic nervous system or sympathetic cascade by sending signals to the adrenal glands. Adrenal glands pump out adrenaline everywhere. Um, and it goes through the body, causing a number of physiological changes. Heart beats faster, has higher contractility, which means it pushes blood to the muscles and the organs better than it usually does. As a result, heart, heart rate and blood pressure go up. The person undergoing these changes usually starts to breathe a little faster, like, right? Sometimes we see ourselves as hyperventilating, but also at the same time, you're having opening of the small airways in your lungs, which enables you to take in more oxygen, mm-hmm. fuel the brain with more oxygen so it can think and see and react clearly, fuel the muscles with more oxygen so that and more blood flow so that they can move appropriately. Our vision sort of becomes tunnel vision as we're focused on usually the threat that's in front of us. Mm-hmm. And our hearing can undergo what's called auditory exclusion. Um, and this is interesting because it often becomes dulled muted or distant, or it may be turned off completely. And this is why during high stress situations, your hearing is impaired and you often end up repeating yourself over and over when in fact, the other person, if they're also in a stressful situation, probably can't hear you. You might try raising your voice, Mm -hmm. but it's because you can't hear when in fact, you're not listening very well either. Also, adrenaline triggers a release of blood sugar and fats from temporary storage to just kind of fuel the body as well. So it's this whole cascade of like, let's go. And it, and it shuts down the things it doesn't, which is why when Charlotte talked about parasympathetic, it says, um, you know, it's the rest and digest. So oftentimes during these stressful situations, your digestion shuts down and some people feel nauseous as well. Yeah. Okay. So that's a lot going yep. on with the body. Yep. And all of these things happen automatically. Before and- you even know it. So before someone even is aware that of the danger, so even what you're saying is before you even realize your plane was crashing, your body was already, already starting this process. Starting this process. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so cool. In fact, the wiring system is so efficient that the amygdala and the hypothalamus start this cascade even before the brain's visual centers have had a chance to fully process what is happening. And this is why you hear stories about people who are able to jump out of the path of an oncoming car without even really thinking about it and not even knowing what it is that they're doing. So this is, of course, it's just, it's built into us. It has an adaptive value. It's what we need to hopefully survive, getting chased by a dinosaur or a mountain lion on a hike or something like that, or attempting to avoid a a serious car accident or maybe even, you know, getting out of a plane after it's crashed. Right. But 
when we get activated into fight or flight while we're simply talking to our spouse. Even if it's just a disagreement. On maybe a simple disagreement or a difficult difficult subject. Right. That's going to be problematic, right? Because now our spouse is that perceived threat. And that is when communication breaks down and conflict begins to escalate. Yeah, that's the key point right there is when we are flooded, when we go into fight or flight, that is when conflict is going to escalate. And as a point of reference, this is when our heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute. When we're at 100 beats per minute or higher, we are flooded. And what's interesting is that in lab research, when couples would have a conflict conversation for 15 minutes, their heart rate would sometimes get as high as 180 beats per minute. I mean, think of that, 180 beats per minute. That's like what- That's aerobic. It is aerobic. It's aerobic. I mean, you would expect that maybe for you know firefighters going into a burning building or soldiers going into combat or something like that. But here I am just talking to you about our day and my heart rate can be at 180 beats per minute. And it's not combat. It's your spouse. It's just you. It's just your spouse. Right. And there's going to be consequences of that, I'm assuming. There's, that conversation's probably not going to go well due to all of these things you just described that the body is doing. Yeah. And if we had a list of things to not do, if you're trying to have a compassionate conversation, this is what happens when you're flooded. You can't take in new information. You suck as a listener. Mm-hmm. You're not able to be empathetic or understanding. No way. You repeat yourself on and on again like you did to on get the, your point across like, like we you did. did on the plane like we did on the plane um, yeah. you can't reason very well and you can't be very attuned to your partner's needs no you cannot right and none of those things are going to be very useful for problem solving with your spouse are they no no none of those things are helpful so how are we going to fix this problem we're if we're automatically being triggered into this response and we can't really help that too much but we're here what are we going to do about it what do we how do we fix this problem well we need to figure out a way to get our heart rate back to baseline and then all of a sudden when your heart rate comes back to baseline and, and you've probably experienced this when you've had a disagreement and then you've sort of come back to it and you're like i'm sorry i was such a jack wagon like mm-hmm. Because then you, you know, if you can get your heart rate down and get out of flooding, you can be more reasonable. You can be more compassionate. You can be more understanding, more affectionate, and you can be a better listener. So how do we get our heart rate back down then? Well, we have to take a break and let the parasympathetic nervous system kick in. And remember, parasympathetic is our braking system. It's what calms you down after the perceived danger has passed. Before we talk about how to take a break in that situation, I think we should share a quick personal story about how foreign this was to us, this concept of taking a break when we're flooded oh, early on in our relationship. Absolutely. And and if you've been following us for a while on, on either social media or on the podcast, you know that we both, you know, our mission really is, is we want people to live happy, wonderful marriages that are fulfilled. And, and sometimes the way that we're raised through no fault of our own, you know, we learn how to manage relationships by by watching our parents. And so Mm -hmm. in my family, it was who could scream the loudest, you know, kind of got that way. And I watched my mom as she struggled with her relationships and- And their own emotional regulation and dysfunction. Absolutely. And and Charlotte's as well. I remember early on, like, you know, when you're first married, you just, you fight the way your parents fight. Yeah. Right. And so it was, it was not pretty the way that we would have disagreements. And, and there was no emotional intelligence on either side. We were just like my way and your way and you got to be wrong because I want to be right. And and I remember Charlotte telling me, I remember her saying, I think it's time we need to take a break. So at least she was better at that than I was. But 
remember I had these underlying issues of abandonment. And so taking a break meant that I wasn't fighting for my marriage. I wasn't mm -hmm. fighting for this relationship. I didn't want to walk away when it got tough. Like I was in it. I wanted to be in it. So I'd repeat myself and like, you know, it was just, it was just dumb. And it was hard. It was so hard to take a break because when she suggested we take a break, it, it felt like she was telling me that, that I should give up on the marriage. I know that was hard because here we are, our body is having this response. Like we are flooded, oh, which means we absolutely. suck at being compassionate, empathetic, listening non-defensively, all of the things that you need to have Can't a successful conversation. We don't, we lack all of that, but yet here we are saying we should stay in it because if we exit at this point or even take a break, that means we're giving up and we're abandoning our relationship. That was quite a double bind we put ourselves into. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah. and it was only because, you know, it sounds terrible at the time. It sounds terrible just saying it, but it was because we were so committed to making our relationship work that we were going to fight through it. And thank goodness we managed to find some ways to Skill manage up. our stress. We skilled up. Yep. And so we didn't just have to do that. And boy, I tell you, disagreements are completely different now yeah. than they were back then. All right. So, so we're in this sticky situation yeah. now, right? So we're back to the sticky situation where we're triggered, we're flooded, and we're we know we up. need and we and we know we're not going to have any success in this conversation. So what do we do? There's three steps. Well, the three steps really are one, you need to recognize that, you know, when you need to take a break. Two, you have to actually take that break and make it a good break. We're going to tell you how. And three, you have to practice self-soothing, which is sort of this immediate way to kind of help bring your heart rate down. All right. Let's go through those three things one by one. So right. the first one Robert said was recognize when to take a break. And this could be the tricky part really is, like I said before, like we, most people don't even recognize when they're getting flooded initially, right? So no, they don't even know. that's the tricky part is realizing when you're flooded. And what we do is we coach our clients we have this little device right here. If you're watching the video version of this, it's called a pulse oximeter. And we recommend that if you're going to have a really serious conversation, talk about a really difficult topic with your partner, with your spouse, get one of these and wear it. Where are you at right now? 90, 58 beats a minute? 85. 85 beats a minute. Yeah. I was looking at it upside down. So you're not flooded right now. That's no, good. I'm not flooded. That's good. So wear a pulse oximeter for a little while when you're having your conversations so that you start to see when and notice when you are becoming flooded. You can also pay attention to physical sensations in your body, like I talked about in previous episodes with my tongue feeling like it was going numb or my eyes flickering or whatever your physical sensations are for you that are your indicators that you're becoming flooded. You can pay attention to your heart heart rate or feel it pounding in your chest you might notice that your eyes are becoming tunneled or sound is becoming muffled. All of those things can be clues. But what's interesting is that in the research, the Gottmans would have couples that were coming back down from flooding just sort of signal like, okay, tell us when you think you've returned to baseline. So you've been flooded, your your heart rate was 150, 160. Just sit there and self-soothe for a minute and tell me when you think you're back to normal. And how, how good were they, they were terrible at oh. determining when they were back to baseline. Most of them were saying, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm back to normal now. And they were still at 120 to 130 beats a minute. Which is still flooded. Which is still flooded. Oh, wow. You got to take a break from that. So, okay. So recognizing when to take a break. Then step two. Step two is take a break. And, and what does a good break look like? And so I will tell you that, that probably from personal experience, if, if you feel like one or both of you needs a break, it's probably a better idea to tell 
to say that I need a break, like take that as mm. on, on your own and say, look, I want to take a 20 minute break or 30 minute break. And then let's come back. And then we're going to discuss this because I feel like I'm getting too spun up. Whether you are or not, if you recognize that in your partner and they're not recognizing it, it's a whole lot better idea to say, I'd like to take a break. Then you look like you're out of control and you need to take a break. So you that, need to calm down. Never works very yeah, well. Yeah. You never, you need to calm down. <laughs> so it's really important that you guys can have a signal between you and your partner when it's time to take a break. That can be a phrase or a hand signal. It might just be as simple as I think we need to take a break. Hand signals are useful because oftentimes when you're flooded, you're not really thinking very well. You're not thinking clearly and, and you know, it may can't articulate things yeah, very well. Your words is, you know, Granny Smith apple or something that would be, <laughs> that would be tough. So we recommend if you're going to have this, you know, when you're implementing this in your relationship, take a minute and talk about like what your, right. what your, what your signal is. And so that anytime in the future, if you're feeling flooded, you can just pause that conversation, stop it. Everyone needs to take a break and then come back when you're doing better. Ours is, um, that was a little sharp. That's our first precursor. Yeah. And then if it continues going, then, you know, we I think we need to take a break. Time out or we need to take a break. So, okay, you've got some kind of signal with your partner. The next part of taking a break that you need to know is that there should be an agreed upon time period for how long the break is going to be. If you don't set a time, one of you, and it goes for a really long time, one of you might end up feeling abandoned or rejected. Much like my story. Exactly. Or you might have the tendency of just going, oh, you know what? We're not fighting about it anymore. I don't want to bring it back up again. Let me just sweep this under the rug. And that's not going to work either. So. Yep. The break needs to have a time a time frame and the minimum, and this is really important, the minimum amount of time you need to take for a break is 20 to 30 minutes because that's how long it takes for the adrenaline and the cortisol to metabolize in your body before you'll even begin to return to baseline. So minimum, minimum of 20 minutes. And the maximum is usually about 24 hours because anything longer than 24 hours starts to feel like rejection or punishment. So yeah, you don't want to go much longer. You don't want to go longer than that. And yeah. I'd say probably an ideal break is about an hour. Yeah. And whoever calls for that break should say when we're going to resume. So if I'm calling for the break, I would say, you know what, let's take a break. Let's resume in an hour and finish this conversation. And then if you say we're going to take an hour, take the hour and do exactly what you said you're going to do. If you come back to the drawing board, you come back to the table in an hour and you're you still, still hot, still coming in hot. I need a little bit more time. Can we yeah. take another 30 minutes yep. and just ask for more time? And it's also good to probably be out of visual and hearing range from each other while you're taking this break. Yeah. What we should not do during the break. What are some things? What are some don'ts? Yeah, there's some definite don'ts that we don't want to do during the break. We don't want to just say, okay, we're taking a break, but then I'm going to go over in the corner and ruminate. Oh, I should I should have said this. Oh, I should have said this. Yeah. Oh, when we resume, I have, I have oh. my comebacks ready to yeah. go. And if you're doing those things, you're really just maintaining that hyper vigilant state, which is only going to continue to keep you flooded. And so we don't want to, we don't want to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to stay spun up. All right. What do we want to do though? Well, step three, what do you want to do during the break is some um, self-soothing. 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 So you need to get your mind off the fight in order to get the stress hormones to metabolize. So you read a book, check your email, unless your email's what's stressing you out, watch a little TV, yoga, do a run, meditate, ride a bike, play soothing music, sing if you want, take a bath, yeah. cold plunge, just lots of things that you can do to just sort of regulate your nervous system and create new opportunities as an outlet for, and most of these are movement-based, by the way, right? Yoga, run, ride a bike. 
And that's going to help sort of burn off that that fuel, that adrenaline that's been poured into your system. Which is what I was going to say, which is why you really like to ride a bike. Yeah, I'll go that's, for a bike ride. He'll go for a bike ride when he's feeling yeah. a little like he's getting close to... And it doesn't even have to be when it's in the context of our conversations. Like you were a little bit approaching that this morning about some projects around the house and you were frustrated and you didn't want to get flooded and you're like, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Yeah. And you went and burnt off that all that adrenaline on Just a bike. burn off all that nonsense. Right. So what right. I like to do is I like to do breathing exercises, yeah. and that's what we found to be really effective as a very fast way to kick in the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, the research shows that just taking deep breaths is probably the fastest way you can you can stimulate vagal nerve tone. Yes. And so with our coaching clients, when we take our clients through a coaching process, we always teach them something called heart math, which is heart-focused breathing meditations. But there's some really simple ways you can still do this at home. You can do even just deep sighs. A deep sigh is your body's natural way of releasing tension and resetting your nervous system. And studies have actually confirmed this and have shown that that deep sigh returns the autonomic nervous system back to kind of from that over-activated sympathetic state back into a more balanced parasympathetic state. So to practice soothing breathing at home, simply breathe in fully, then slow down your exhale. Breathe out fully, lengthening your exhale. Your exhale should be long and slow. This is the key to stimulating the vagus nerve and reaching a state of relaxation. Yes. Yep. You can also, another, another key point there is you can also make sounds while you're exhaling. The vagus nerve is connected to your vocal cords and the the muscles at the back of the throat. So even if you're like exhaling with like a, I, I kind of do like a yoga breath when I'm exhaling, um, that vibration back there will stimulate the, the vagus nerve. You can also do singing, chanting, gargling, anything that activates these muscles will stimulate your vagus nerve. The key is that you have to have a plan for what to do when you're taking these breaks and Take responsibility for your own self-soothing during these breaks, which means learning what works for you and practicing that. And in another podcast, we're going to talk about different ways to regulate your nervous system. Great. So that is what a good break looks like. Absolutely. So here's your homework for this week. I want you to um, get with your partner, get with your spouse, your partner, and I want you guys to come up with your own strategy for how you're going to handle these situations because we all have them. So strategize and come up with what your exact plan is going to be for taking a break, whether you're going to give a hand signal or you're going to have keywords, safe words, because this is the ability to stop, to pause, take a break, and to self-soothe is really one of the best tools in your toolbox for managing conflict. And when you come back from that conflict, you'll be more human, you'll be more rational, You'll be more empathetic and mm-hmm. and you'll have much that, better. That's how you, as you and your partner, need to solve problems. Yeah, is with empathy and listening. Okay, as always, we appreciate you and we appreciate your ratings and your reviews. It really helps us get the message out to provide resources and more tools for couples. So take a second, whatever app you're using, ring it up. See if you can give us a five star review. That would be super helpful. And remember, as always, to be kind to each other. Be gentle, love and take care of each other this week. Until next time.
Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.